Let's say a little prayer before I start. Dear kind Heavenly Father, help us now as we open your word. <clears throat> Give us understanding. Help us to feel it down in our hearts that we might know what you're all about. That we might get the truth out of what these things tell us. and Take it into our heart. And make it our own. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we were kids, we used to repeat nursery rhymes. We learned a lot of them when we were kids. And uh, we, one we used to repeat quite a lot had a message that we kind of understood very well. Old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to get her poor doggie a bone. And when she got there, the cupboard was bare, and so her poor doggie had none. Remember that one? Remember that one? Yeah, you remember that one? We had a revised version of that one. It went like this. Old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to get her poor daughter a dress. And when she got there, the cupboard was bare and so was her daughter, I guess. So, <laughs> uh, that was our version. But we understood so well about the bare cupboard. There are three things that we call the basic needs of life, food, clothes, and shelter. Growing up, we did have shelter. We lived in a government house when I was growing up, and I remember the wintertime when it was cold, there was ice that formed on the inside of the wall on the family room until sometimes there was a whole sheet of ice inside the wall. No insulation. <laughs> it was cold, but at least we had a roof over our head. Clothes? Well, not many, not many. We went school shopping. I remember I got a pair of pants and two shirts. I remember saying to my mother, I always wear the same shirts every day. Her answer was simply, well, they're always clean. <laughs> That's right, they were. But food was the thing that we sometimes ran out of. Like Mother Hubbard, the cupboard was bare. I remember it was once on a Christmas Eve, my parents paid an insurance bill. And there was no money left over after they paid their bill. So we couldn't buy any food. We were sitting around the Christmas tree, singing carols, enjoying the day. But there was no food for Christmas dinner. None at all. Not even bread. And a neighbor, old Crosby Rumble, who lived up the road, stopped by with a Christmas present. It was a bag of peanuts in a shell. So that was our Christmas dinner. Peanuts in a shell. Years and years later, my mother told me she went upstairs and cried because we were so happy eating crisp peanuts on a shell on Christmas Eve. I also remember another occasion when the money ran out. In the fall of the year, my father used to dig up potatoes that he'd planted. It was our job to scoop the potatoes out of the dirt and put them in bushel baskets. And then we had an old cellar with no heat in it. And we would keep the potatoes, and they would stay through the winter months. We also had a good friend named Bob Nice. He would let us pick several bushels of apples out of his orchards. And we stored the apples down the old cellar along with the potatoes. And when we ran out of money and the cupboard was bare, uh, my mother said, well, for the next week, all we've got to eat is apples and potatoes. So we made a joke out of it. My mother would ask, how would you like your potatoes? Fried, boiled, or mashed? 
And she'd say, I could bake that apple for you, you know. So fried potatoes and baked apples, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We didn't even have flour to make bread. I remember after a week of apples and potatoes, we had to stop at the pastor's house for some reason. My mother turned around the car and looked at us three kids in the back and said, you will say nothing about apples and potatoes when we go inside. That was the law. I remember the pastor's wife said, I just baked some cookies. Would you like a cookie? We looked at mom. We didn't dare say yes. We looked at mom. She said, I guess they could have one. And so she brought us out three great big sugar cookies. And to this day, I know how good that was. (laughs) I could still taste it. The pastor noticed. He says, wow. Those kids really enjoy those cookies. My father said, you think all I ever fed them was apples and potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) I must admit, I remember those days with a certain fondness. There is no meal now that seems meager or insufficient to me. After all, when you've eaten peanuts in a shell for Christmas dinner... And apples and potatoes for a whole week straight. Bread and peanut butter is like a luxury. You see, Crosby Rumble and Bob Nice were God's way of supplying our needs. I remember a wealthy woman came to me once and she asked me, why do you put so much effort into that food drive you do at Christmas time? I answered, because I know what it is to be hungry. Those are things I learned when I was just a boy, personal things. The passage we're about to read is a very personal passage. Now remember, we're reading a letter, and Paul wrote the letter to the church at Philippi, and a letter is a private thing between people. And it feels like sometimes we're sticking our nose into Paul's private business. But he says such wonderful things about life, I'm sure he won't mind if he read his private mail. So let's take up where we left off. We're in Philippians chapter 4, and I'm reading at verse number 10. But I received in the Lord, I'm sorry, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care of me has flourished again, where when you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Thank you, thank you, thank you, he says. Sometimes thank you is a, it's not enough. It's just not enough. In our language, we seem to have a limitation of thank you. In Norwegian, we can say tak du, which is thank you. But sometimes in Norwegian, they say mangatak, which means many things. I like that one better. But when I was over there, I remember they said to me, Twos and talk all, which means a thousand thanks. A thousand thanks. I think that's a better way to say thank you. Paul's trying to say thank you. He says, I was so happy. I was grateful to God. Why? When Epaphroditus arrived with your gift of money for me. I knew you would have sent it sooner. But it's a long, dangerous journey from Philippi, way over in Greece, to Rome. And then Paul 
who doesn't want to make them feel bad about the delay, because it was a long time since he'd heard from them. He goes on, verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound everywhere and in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Paul says, money or no money, it really doesn't matter to me. Rolling in the dough or flat broke, it doesn't matter to me. One way or the other, I have learned a life lesson. Rich or poor, well-fed or hungry, either way, my life lesson is to be content no matter what. Peanuts in a shell or turkey dinner, either way, I'm contented. Now, my friends, remember, Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's under house arrest. He's not in a prison cell, but he's in some sort of a small, maybe apartment. He's not free to come and go. He's under arrest. But in those days, they might feed you if you were a prisoner, maybe. I think Paul was such a pleasant, delightful fellow that he was well treated because the jailers liked him. But he was still in jail. Of course, he had no money. There's no way to earn money in jail. So whatever he needed, shoes, clothes, even pen and paper, he had to do without. But now he gets a love offering from the church at Philippi, and he thanks them profusely, twos and talk for all, a thousand thanks, because now he can buy what he needs. But he says, but don't feel bad. I'm content. I'm feeling good. I'm happy. Whatever life's bringing me, I'm content. Let me ask you this morning, can you say that about your life? Can you say, I'm content? We had an old fellow on the farm. His name was Elmer Hoosier. And Uncle Ed and I would sit next to each other at the table, Big Carl across the table, and Elmer sat next to me. So Uncle Ed said, don't let Big Carl get the food first. You guys get what you want before you give him the bowl. Because he'll eat whatever's left in it. So he passed the food around, and he said to old Elmer, he said, Elmer, you want seconds or anything? And he always said the same thing. He said, I got a plenty. I got a plenty. Every meal. Elmer, you want more? I got a plenty. Here was a guy every day, three times a day, he said, I got a plenty. He owned an old pickup truck and the clothes on his back, and that was all he owned in all the world. And every day he said, I got a plenty. I got a plenty. My mother used to quote this verse a lot. She would say, I have learned whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content, even if it's New York State. (laughs) 
Are you content living in New York? <laughs> Paul said he didn't come by that contentment naturally. It was something he had to learn, and he learned it through his life. And sometimes life changes. He says it can be up and it can be down. I can feel full or I can be hungry. Everything I need or abject poverty. But I'm content either way. Now, if you've never had need, how shall you ever appreciate abundance, I wonder? Is your inner joy tied to your current circumstances? Or are you happy one day and miserable the next? Have you learned what Paul learned to be content no matter what? That's a great way to live, isn't it? Isn't that a wonderful way to live your life? So, is it just Paul's personality? It is, is it his nature to be happy? Or is there more to it? There are some people, I'm quite sure, it's their nature to be miserable. So, what's Paul's secret here? Well, let's see what it is. Verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. It almost sounds like Paul is bragging. I can do anything. (laughs) I can do all things. So what does he mean? I always remember something my uncle Ed said to me 50 years ago. Uncle Ed had a brother named Elmer. Wonderful old fella. And Ed and Elmer used to build houses together. And Uncle Ed said this to me. He said, when Elmer and I were singling a roof, I would go as fast as I could. And my arms were flailing, my legs were jumping, and I was moving like crazy. And Elmer looked like he was barely moving. But no matter how fast I went, how hard I tried, Elmer always got his row of shingles to the edge of the roof before I did. He didn't jump around or flail his arms. He just knew how to work. No wasted motion. He beat me every single time. He says, some people you know, really know how to work. And then Uncle Ed said something to me that I never forgot. If you ever find somebody like that, make sure you keep them close to you. That's what Uncle Ed said. Those people are few and far between. If you find somebody like that, Keep them close to you. I do know someone. He's never been late to work. He's never done a no-show. He's never been unreliable. If there's something I just don't quite know how to do, he always seems to know exactly what to do. He never argues with me. 
He always cooperates. And when he's working with me together, we always get the job done. Shoulder to shoulder, we can accomplish anything. Who's my helpful friend? It's Jesus, of course. And that's Paul's secret. When I got a job to do, he gives me an infusion, is the actual word, of strength. He gives me energy and stamina. He is my best working partner. So I follow Uncle Ad's good advice. I keep him close to me. That's the real secret of life. Keep Jesus close to you. He will give you strength to accomplish and to succeed and to overcome, to do the will of God. So let's see what else Paul mentions. Verse 14. Notwithstanding you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Even in Thessalonica you sent once and again to my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire that fruit may abound to your account. But I have all, and abound, and am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. It seems this wasn't the first time the people at Philippi had given Paul a love offering. He says, when I started to preach the gospel, you were the only church when I left Macedonia and began my missionary trips, you were the only church that supported me back in those days. He said, even when I was in Thessalonica founding another church, they didn't give me money, you did And so you've made a habit of giving me money so I can do God's work. And Paul says, here's what it's kind of like. The old burnt offerings that we had when we were Jews. He said, you put something, you sacrifice it, and you put it on the altar, and then you set it on fire. And the idea was that the smoke rose up to heaven, and God... Could smell it. He knew you were sacrificing for him. And he said up in heaven, boy, that's a sweet smell. That smells good to me. And Paul says, it's not that I want money. It's rather that I want you to do the things that please God. So when you give to me so generously, God's really pleased with you. He says, I'm full, right up to the top. I got everything I need. I'm happy and contented. And most of all, God is happy with you. So I want to make a promise to you, he says. Verse 19. But my God shall supply all you need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. This is a verse that's often quoted. I've heard it more almost than any other verse out of Philippians. 
God will give you everything you want. Well, not exactly. Consider what Paul said now. You people in Philippi have been so generous and so giving and so faithful that God's going to reward you. Remember what Jesus said. Here's a rule of life. Give and it shall be given to you. Because you've been so generous, God is going to be generous with you. But here's something for you to remember. God has a very big bank account. (laughs) His riches in glory are a limitless supply. Blessings coming to you, countless, unnumberable. All your needs supplied, guaranteeing you will be content. Are you learning life lessons? Are you content? Is what you do for Jesus a sweet, smelling sacrifice if so then God bless you and God bless you over and over so let's finish this book verse 20 now unto God our father be glory forever and ever amen salute every saint in Christ Jesus the brethren which are with me greet you all the saints salute you chiefly they that are of Caesar's household The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Glory to God, he says. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody here says hi to you. And a little note, one of those private notes, especially the people in Caesar's house, the saints in Caesar's house. That's a wonderful thing to say. We pray today that in the homes of the people who govern us, saints will be found. May it be so, Lord Jesus. And the grace and kindness of Christ be with you all. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the lessons that we learn for the life that we live, the opportunities you give us. May we be contented and happy because of you and be filled with the blessing of doing the work of God. We thank you for generous people who give their time, give their talents, especially people without time that still give it. And people who do their best have stood out in the cold and sang, stood out in the cold and handed out bulletins. And people who have done the will of God, it is our greatest pleasure to serve you. And it makes us contented inside. So bless us, we pray, and may we have thankful and grateful hearts May we keep Jesus close to us so that we can do the work that you would have us to do. Bless us, we pray.
In Jesus' name, amen. In closing, I'd like you to turn in your hymn books with me. Page 159. Standing as we sing just the first verse, I need thee every hour. It's also on the front of your bulletin, 159 in your books. I need thee every hour. I need thee every hour, most gracious heart, a tender voice like thine can teach us these days to be content with whatever we are in, whether we are abounding or whether we have little. The things that are in our lives, Lord, we know that you are in control. And so we ask for the help to trust you for all of our needs, whether it seems like they can be filled or not. We pray that we would trust you with all of our hearts. And we pray that we would know during these times that you have your hand upon us, on our families, on this church, on this country. We just pray that our hearts would be ready to serve you in whatever ways that you have called us to. Help us to be willing to give that sacrifice, whatever it might be, it will cost us something, Lord, but you will bless us beyond all blessings. We will give to you. Thank you for what you have done. Help us and guide us and be with us. Be with all of these folks. Protect them. Be with them as they go throughout the world. Bring them back to this place in a very special way. We want to thank you for this day. This great and mighty work that you have done and you have been doing all along. We thank you for paying attention to this little place on the hill out here. Thank you for your love and your kindness. In your name we pray.